You're listening to Daddy Squared, the Gay Dads Podcast. This is the Valentine's Day episode. <laughs> Cue the violins. Oh, there are violins. Daddy Squared, the Gay Dad Podcast with Alex Megan and Young Megan. Deliver me. Out of my sadness Deliver me From all of the madness Deliver me Courage to guide me Deliver me Strength from inside me All of my life I was in hiding Wishing there was someone just like you Now that you're here Now that I've found you I know that you're the one to pull me Welcome to Daddy Square, the Gay Dads Podcast. This is the Valentine's Day episode, and I'm Jan. And I'm Alex. Did you recover? Yeah, so that was our, our um, walk down the aisle yeah, song. song. And I, I want to say that one of the many things that my husband has contributed to my life and our relationship is he is our primary music programmer. And he's very, very good at it. The right song at the right time. And we want to thank uh, John Marsh, who wrote this song and who gave me permission to use it uh, on the podcast today. Today, we don't have a guest. It's only you and me, Alex. Um, and you know that uh, there's when you watch a series and uh, there is one episode in the series that it's actually like the backstory of the, some of the characters. <laughs> is that what this is? This is, this is, that, this is that episode. So This is th- how we got our superpowers of not knowing how to parent and complain to each other and bicker. Right. It was actually Alex's idea, the episode, right? Yeah. You had some plans for this too, but what I think I want to do here today is to share some of the work that I was doing with myself the work with a relationship with Alex and the work uh, in regards to parenting. Before we start, I think we should read something that somebody sent to us. Okay. You should read it. Where is Here it? Here it is. Oh. Oh, this. So <laughs> last week we talked about surrogacy and we uh, elaborated on friends of gay men who are volunteering to be surrogates or egg donor. Um, and we got this lovely email from Bethany. She was a surrogate for, for a gay couple. She says all this in the email. Okay, let's read this email. Gentlemen. I mean, let's just start that she refers to us as gentlemen. <laughs> That's pretty good. Enjoyed the comments from last Monday's episode regarding close relationships with donors and surrogates before and after birth. I've recently delivered a baby girl for dads that were close friends of ours. My husband and the biological father were neighbors 14 years ago, and we've all grown closer in time. We even got to give the wedding toast when the guys got married. 
We have one of those too-good-to-be-true stories because the odds were against us. I had lost my own child 20 weeks into a pregnancy 13 years ago and since never tried to get pregnant until this surrogacy. Losing that child made me realize what a miracle a healthy child is, and I wanted to donate and help whoever possible. We knew it wasn't a genetic issue. In the meantime, I acquired two stepdaughters. She acquired them. I acquired two stepdaughters and took custody of my niece after her mother passed. My plan to motherhood was unconventional, but absolutely complete. Our two oldest daughters, 21 and 18, are both lesbian, making my husband and I that much more willing to put good vibes into the world in hopes that would reverberate one day similarly so someone may soften our kids' path to parenthood. I am 36 now, and the dads definitely rolled the dice with my age, history, and no contract in place. We had pure trust in each other. I think it's an anomaly and absolutely not a plan I would recommend outside of the comfort zone we knew. We had a hard time finding a doctor that would do IUI for traditional surrogacy, But my husband's childhood friend was an OB and had been through his own trials having a child and understood. It worked on the first try. The guys found out on her well, the guys found out on their wedding anniversary they were going to be parents. When it came time to deliver, their sweet baby would not flip, so we had to plan for a C section. This was the biggest bummer for me at the time because I was living for the moment. I would get to see the parents meet their daughter and all become a family. At the last minute, while getting my epidural, a nurse came in and said she got permission for all three men, my husband and both fathers, to be in surgery with me. We were elated. She later said she had done three sets of baby footprints on one dad's scrubs. But in 26 years, never one set of baby footprints on three dads. The dads live in Nashville and have listened to you religiously. You is us, the podcast. That's amazing. So sweet. (laughs) They gleaned so much wisdom from your podcast and shared it with me throughout pregnancy. Our family is in Houston, but we continue to talk every couple days or so, and I get updates on how everyone is coping. The baby just turned three months. We chose to do an altruistic surrogacy as I feel like I gained and grew so much as a person that it was as much for me as it was for them. The parents' plan is that Emerson Rose will know she was biologically related to me and the parents have nicknamed me Saint B. (laughs) We've yet to determine if a sibling is in order down the road, but this path was so perfect it would be asking fate for quite a lot. All the best. Thanks for letting me share, Bethany Reinhardt. Oh, Bethany. Bethany, Bethany you kind of slew me with that. That's yeah, both of us. Amazing. Wow. Thank you so much. Um, and I think you are Saint. I mean, Saint B. Well, this Let's is Saint, just change this her is name Saint right there. Valentine's Day, so it's Saints all around. Totally. Daddy Squared, the Gay Dads Podcast, Season 3, is sponsored by Love is Family by ORM Fertility, your gateway to fatherhood. Research begins at loveisfamily.com. Let's go back in time, Alex. Yes. To coming out. To coming out? We're we're giving the backstory. Oh, this is like, this is the backstory. Okay. I will tell you guys right now that I had a thing for Michael Crane in the ninth grade. Yeah, Michael Crane. He was all right. I don't know if he's listening. 
But Michael, <laughs> it was all about you, baby. I'm sure he's straight as an arrow, but I'm just saying. You um, and the straight people that you like. Well, I'm, to me, straight men is a turnoff. I'm sorry, and in, it's including Chris Hemsworth. That's with so ridiculous. All due Listen, if Chris Hemsworth was gay, it wouldn't increase my chances of sleeping him with him by any percentage points at all. So, what difference does it make? I might as well drool after the whatever I want to drool after. Anyway, we're really it's leaving a totally the point. different podcast. We're leaving the point. The first person I came out to in my family. Okay, the first person I came to out to was my best friend Karen. And I just want to tell everybody very quickly that um, the way I told her, we were both living in New York. I told her I was going to meet her in a bar on the Upper East Side. And I steeled myself for coming in and telling her, coming out of the closet. And as I walked in and I saw her in the back of the bar, and as I was walking in and I got closer and closer to her table, Dancing Queen came on the radio <laughs> in the bar. And I just said to myself, well, okay, so it was absolutely meant to be. She was amazing. She's been amazing my entire life uh, uh, as a support for me in every way, including my ma massive homosexuality. The next person I told was my brother. My brother has been an incredibly close support to me in my life. Um, but at that moment in time, just at the moment of coming out to him, there was a lot of shock. And there was a kind of, I felt, and he would probably um, argue with me about this today, I felt that a large part of his negative reaction at the very moment that I came out to him was because he felt like that's what's expected of a guy. Like, I could almost feel that it was almost fake. Like, right. well, you know, I gotta say, oh, this is horrible because I'm a guy, right? It's funny because, because my brother, who's straight too, said, yeah. like, when I came out to him, he's like, duh. Oh, no, yeah, my brother did not say that. And then, and then, but the funny thing is that lasted all of 15 minutes. And then, like, over the, you know, over the next days and weeks, it just became a very natural, you know, thing for him. Uh, I'm not saying he didn't still have trouble with it, but he got over it quickly. So I used to have a lot of pen pals all across Europe. I'm just going to tell girls. everybody who's listening that he just said pen pal. Go ahead. A few <laughs> explicit lyrics. <laughs> explicit go lyrics, you. Go, go, go. So I used to have uh, quite a few of them, and most of them were, were girls. I had a couple of boys that I was uh, uh, writing to. One of them was from the Netherlands. Um, and in one letter, he wrote me like a really long letter, and he came out to me. He told me that he was gay, and I was like, this is the same as me. I felt like the same... Like we had, we shared the same, the, the same history right. because his family was uh, not supportive to right. him. And, uh, and after he came out, he decided to uh, move to Amsterdam from the place that he was living in. Surprisingly, that week uh, came out the song Confide in Me by Kylie Minogue. <sighs> and the song is all about a secret that you, across that you bear. And, um, Thank God for Kylie, who saved me as I wrote once. I don't, um, this I don't is think when I discovered Kylie Minogue. Yeah, I don't think you're alone. I think Kylie probably saved saved a lot of a lot know, of gay men. Kylie on one side of the Atlantic, and and Madonna on the other side of the Atlantic did a lot for gay men yeah. who were still in the closet. Yeah, and I remember, by the way, coming out, uh, and and my father asked me, "How is it possible that you're gay if you love Kylie Minogue?" And I'm like, "Dad." <laughs> This is what Kylie is all about. It's not that kind of love, Dad. Yeah. Daddy, that's QR.com.
When asked where Jan and I met, we always say that we met in synagogue. Uh, the uh, reality is we met in the gay version of synagogue, which is the gym. I was living in Israel at the time. And I saw, I'm going to tell you, I saw a pair of shoulders. The first thing, the first thing I saw. That's was not me. what you said to me the other Why, day. What did I say? That you saw something else. The eyes? much more important. No. The ass? Yeah. Well, okay. I saw a set of shoulders. They were good. They were they were wide, right? Uh, boring. And then I looked downward, and something truly fantastic caught Don't my eye. Don't describe it. Your mom is listening. Probably. Well, she's seen it too. I mean, not you know fully dressed, but you were fully dressed at the time. So that was amazing. And then you know, as I got closer to you, you turned around, and for those of you who haven't seen pictures on the frickin' Instagram or whatever, shut up, shut up, Yawn. shut up. He has eyes like a stormy sea. He's the got color. He's got beautiful, beautiful eyes, and I was pretty, pretty drawn to that. Yeah. And then we we did, um, you know, something very special, which is, you know, we went back to my hotel room and did all kinds of unsightly things, um, and that was our first date. Um, and um, what I do remember very distinctly is being absolutely positive that I wouldn't, that he wouldn't call me back. Right, because I I had to go. Right, you had to go, and you made up some bullshit reason, which We, it turns out was not, not bullshit. Not bullshit. <laughs> you had to go it was see true, a movie. My friend. Yeah, yeah. I had a, I had a date with a girlfriend of mine. Yeah, and I thought he wasn't going to call me back. And, and the movie is knocked up. <laughs> the movie was knocked <laughs> up, and he did. And I I thought you were pretty freaking dreamy. I did. We banged some more. Well, there was banging. There was consistent banging at the beginning. Um, I was, at the time, I was, I think, not expecting to meet anybody. I was in the state of mind, which I recommend everybody who wants to get a boyfriend for life to be on, which is, I don't really care. Yeah, which I agree. One, yeah, I don't, I don't really care what's going to happen. I'm going to just... Bang this guy, and if he wants to see me again, we're gonna bang again until yeah. we want to see each other again. And yeah, we, and we'll do other things too. You know, so I, it's I, all about like removing all the obstacles, yeah, um, and all the things that are in your way. And I was at that at that point where I was like, if somebody didn't call me, I was like, you know, fuck that. Right. Um, I don't know if I was in the fuck that level, but I agree with you that, you know what? I mean, uh, I was forty years old. Uh, I was not happy with my dating situation, but at the same time, I had just gotten into a phase where I was like, oh, whatever. I just can't think about this all, all the time. And as I started to not think about this all the time, I met you. I wasn't sure that it's going to be something that lasts long. I didn't even think about it, but I knew I want to see you again and again and again. And then... Like we had this part where I thought I'm breaking up with you. You remember mm, that? Oh, I remember it. Yeah, because yeah. oh god, he, he so you used so to confusing. send me. Yeah, you used to send me like this uh, um, sexting. Ex we were sexting, but, but emails. But so everything I said was turned into a sexting, and I'm I'm like, why? Why aren't you talking to me? You made it difficult for me to understand what it was that you actually wanted. You know, do too much of this, and you're doing it wrong. Don't do enough of this, and you're doing it. So wrong. anyway, I had a friend that was like. Uh, I was telling him, yeah, I think uh, with Alex, it's not going to work out anymore. Blah, blah, blah. I don't care. I'm not answering him anymore. And I just, there was like a three days period where I 
where I didn't answer your email or something and didn't answer your calls. And he was living in, in Los Angeles at the time and I was living in Tel Aviv. And, um, and he used to come to uh, Tel Aviv like every, uh, every two weeks, something yeah. like that. Yeah. So, so yeah, but then my friend was like, you know, I understand what you're saying, but maybe you should uh, think about telling him that you don't understand. Who was I this again? Gil. I write Gil. Um, yeah. I think I think there's a miscommunication here. I feel that because you're saying something and it doesn't look like I, I let him read the emails and he's like, something is not seem right here. Maybe you should talk to him about it. And I did. And we've never stopped talking <laughs> since then. <laughs> that is Baird, the Gay Dad Podcast with Alex Megan and Jan Begel. So, you know, first comes love, then comes marriage, and then come Ben and Adam in a baby carriage. This is yes. well established. Um, but let's let's just do marriage. Um, we had been together for how many years when, when you proposed to me? Six okay. years. So six years. We had, we had three marriages. We had a, uh, a legal marriage in our living room um, with a justice of the peace who had no shoes on. Yeah, yeah, I remember that. He came from Malibu for right. my, like a celebrity like, yeah, wedding. One of Cher's marriages <laughs> or something like that. And then, uh, then we Do you know that Cher, uh, she has only one condition for, for her husband? No. He has to be toilet trained. <laughs> That's nasty. That's nasty. Um, the, the second marriage was our actual wedding that we had in Israel with all of our family, uh, which I loved and Yanir didn't love because it was... I don't know, too wedding-y for him or something. And then we had one back here in Los Angeles for our Los Angeles families and friends. And uh, and then we were married. I don't know. Yeah. Boring is all shit, so wasn't it? Boring. What the hell should I say? Yeah. I don't know what else there is to say. I didn't have that kind of reaction that, I don't know, some people mythically talk about having where, like, getting married changes everything. It didn't change everything. But I will say that I took the concept of that commitment, of, of that promise to each other incredibly seriously. And there is something so powerful about it because what it means is, I mean, yeah, divorces, we did an episode about this. Divorce is absolutely a thing and it's possible. And some people should get divorced when things are just not going to work. But there's something so beautiful and powerful about saying to each other, we're going to do this through thick and thin. And that means that it's possible to be incredibly pissed off at each other and just say, yeah, but we've already decided that this is a thing, that we're, a, we're, we're together. Even though I have to say, and I have to reveal here, that uh, during the time of uh, the, the wedding, the actual wedding in yeah. Israel in two, 2014, yeah. I think it was our worst time together. And we're having a lot, a lot of trouble, miscommunication, yeah. and we didn't talk as much to each other, and we were disconnected, and yeah. I even thought about breaking up um, at that time. Needless to say, there was no sex, and there was, I was sitting at home trying to figure out my life, and Alex was working most days, uh, long hours, and, um, and that's where we, we decided. So I was still with my therapist from Israel, I was on a weekly call with her and she was like, you know, you guys, I feel that you guys have to fix the communication between you two because obviously there's something wrong and I don't want to see you miss out on this relationship mm. um, without trying that because this is what you did last time mm. when you walked away. 
And, and she was right. And I was like, you know, I already was in that situation, the same exact situation uh, with my ex-boyfriend. And back then I decided to leave. So I made the conscious decision not to leave. And that was my commitment. And this is why I think it was most Im more important for me than the actual wedding, because my commitment was between me and myself, that this is what I want to learn. I want to learn how to live with this man who is... Um, Perfect in every way. Totally not. I'm sorry. Go on. Um, <laughs> because th there's some qualities that you have that is the quality of the type of man that I'm attracted to, right? And if I don't figure out how to live with this kind of man, I will end up, you know, alone for another 10 years. I'll find another person, live with him another three years, yeah. and then get to the same point again. So why, why bother, you know? For all of that, sure. instead of uh, doing that, you made me feel you made me feel very unique and Thank special. You. <laughs> yes, I know you are unique. <laughs> Valentine's Day. So, anyway, so I uh, we found this couple therapist, and we've been in therapy for six years yeah, now. Since years. then, you know, it is uh, it's hard. It's every Thursday night. There's not always time. We're exhausted. The kids, blah, blah, blah. I think the hardest part is that when bad things come out. Like you go to couple therapy and you sometimes you save the bad things to say there because yeah. it's some sort of a, there's a judge <laughs> there well, who can it's actually... A safer space, yeah. you know, yeah. And there are times where we even went there when everything was fine and we come out fighting. Yeah. Yeah, that's, um, and you that's you hard. kind of yeah, it's really hard, and these are the challenges of being in couples therapy. But overall, I think that it's been amazing for us. Yep. It's uh, there's a certain type of communication between a couple and a certain type of love that you learn to you know to love your partner as a friend and as a sexual person, right? Yeah. And it changes things for you. And and once things are in your head that way, it's easier to to continue with your commitment and to be with each other for a longer time. Yeah, look, I mean, our relationship is 12 and a half years in. As of today, we celebrate the half year, actually, on Valentine's Day. And it has undergone many transitions, as I think any long relationship does. And I think as a healthy relationship does, it goes through lots of transitions and changes, and it grows over time. And... Then we had kids. And when we decided to have kids, I think that I certainly knew, I imagine you did, that it was going to change not only our lives, but our relationship with each other forever. And it has. It has changed our relationship for forever. And in some ways that were kind of predictable, like we're tired more often and we don't have we don't really get to go out that much anymore and stuff like that. But in so many other ways that I could not have predicted, and one of which is that it has so strengthened my attachment to you my sense of how we fit with each other in the way we raise our children and the way we support each other in this <laughs> incredibly challenging little little project of, of raising kids mm -hmm. i have to say that uh, the reason why i wanted to have kids to, in the first place is that i wanted my genetic and your genetic to be connected. And yeah. This is my story of having kids. Like yeah, we was, did this. It's amazing, yeah. actually. And and now it's like that because it's the same egg donor, one 
kid is my biologically mine and the other one is Alex's and now we're connected and yep. this is what I wanted and this is the commitment that I actually looked for and not the actual marriage and signing a document. See, I like the marriage and signing and document stuff. I like yeah. I like ceremonies. I like pomp and circumstance. I'm kind of like Donald Trump. Daddy, that's QR.com. So we had kids. So what I can say, and I remember that I was talking to my brother who was just married, Mazel Tov Do. Oh, oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. Throughout the way, he was closely watching what I'm feeling and how I am. And at the first year, I told him, you know what? This is horrible. I don't know what to do with that. These are two creatures who are probably going to suffer because their parents don't love them. Right. It was a very, very difficult adjustment for me because I think that both Alex and I are workaholics. And I think it's a problem for many gay men that we're so focused around ourselves and how do we look in our gym and our food and our, you know, entertainment and stuff like that. Yeah. And suddenly there's these two babies who suck all the time yeah. out of you and you don't have time for these things that you love the most, yeah. which is yourself. I think that your analysis is right. And I want to add something to it too, which is think about the fact that gay men spend generally speaking, a much larger amount of their childhood alone. We're people who learn to create our own world because we lived our lives in the closet. Hopefully the young generation today isn't yeah. doing that as much, but we did. And then a few years later, in our case, quite a few years later, you have kids. There are no doors. I mean, you don't get to be alone with your Kylie Minogue. You don't get to be alone on the toilet. Like those days are over. And yeah. all of a sudden, these animals are all over you all the time. And it is a transition that I think for a lot of gay men might actually be harder than it is uh, for a straight man. So I, I was talking to my brother, and I think it changed when they turned three. Okay. When the kids turned three, I had a different tone, and I told him, listen, there's something that is crucial for a person's self-development yeah. to have a kid. Yeah. And it doesn't, matter, it, it doesn't matter if it's your biological kid or not. Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter. But the thing is that you get to be on the other side of the equation and be the parent in somebody else's childhood. You kind of relive your childhood and you get to fix some stuff and get to understand some stuff and forgive your parents about stuff that they did. Did you do and that? Not yet. <laughs> no, I mean, you know, sometimes I do understand them. I understand. And, and sometimes it's for the worst. I'm like, I understand that it's hard, but how could you? Well, right. You know, so I have this and I have, oh, now I understand what you did. Right. So I think that the most important thing is that the personal development that I had since the kids came along are like twice as much as the past 10 years. Look, Because I, you get to understand more about life. You learn about life through, through your kids. I think that's, that's completely true. And, you know, one of the things that I said on our, uh, one of our YouTube um, shows was I'm, I, yeah, only in their third year did I start to notice this. Um, you have this incredible piece of therapy that you can perform on yourself when you have children, which is so many of the fears and trials and um, uh, hurt uh, elements of hurt that you had in your childhood, you can kind of stop because you now have children and you can say to them, that feeling that I had, I'm going to work to keep you from having it. And the minute you say that, it almost erases it for you. I'll give you a better example. I have certain, I had certain songs 
that I couldn't listen to. I could never listen to these songs because when I listened to them, they would remind me of certain incredibly sad or painful times in my childhood. And when my kids were like two years old, I started to say, you know what? I'm just going to play those songs. They were great songs or whatever. And I would play them and I would realize that right then with my kids, seeing the way my kids reacted to those songs, the attachment that those songs had was reconnected. And now it's attached to them and not to my childhood. And that is really good stuff. Right. You know? That is good. We would like to for you guys to get to know us better. Um, and to know who we are and why we're doing what we're doing and why we're here. And I think that for me, the podcast itself started as a way to get out of the idea that we're secluded in our own child raising. We needed to communicate with the world. We needed help. That's we right. needed, and this is why we started. We happened to have the, the technology to do it. Um, all we needed is friends, I guess. This podcast has been a kind of a, a an open discussion and sharing that has happened along with the way our kids have grown up. And I hope that it will continue to do that because I'm sure everything will be smooth sailing from now on. <laughs> I assume everything is going to be fine oh and easy, uh, but uh, just in case it's not. We hope that uh, we can share with you guys and you can help us uh, sort of get through what, what this yeah. is all about. Yeah, sure we're not experts. Nah. We're just... We're a mess. We're <laughs> a mess. I would like to take a moment to talk about Jan. Jan. I love it that we share the same uh, glass of water. Shut How romantic up. is that? Shut up. You hate it when I drink from your glass of water. And we'll talk. We're going to do a whole episode about that. All right. <laughs> I would like to take a moment to talk about Jan. Uh, Jan is the one who produces this podcast and Daddy Squared overall. And I say that out of thanks to Jan. Um, and I think he does a wonderful job of it. But I also say it as a metaphor for who Jan is and what our relationship is and has always been. Jan is a producer. Um, you know, the job of a producer is to make things happen and not so much to spend their time, um, you know, thinking of big fluffy ideas, to, but to get down to the brass tacks of what it is that has to happen. And he has been that in my relationship with him from the very beginning. I have a tendency to be one of these people like a kind of a balloon that floats around with big ideas and a big heart and a lot of uh, fluffy emotion. But when it comes time to turn that into a life, that wasn't me. It never was me until I met Jan. And Jan has produced the last 12 and a half years. Jan is the reason why we're together. Jan is the reason why we got married. Jan is the reason why we had children, because while I wanted them, it was never going to happen were it not for him. And I spent a lot of time in couples therapy complaining about how he's almost Vulcan in his inability to uh, openly and warmly share his emotions with me at times that I wish that he would. And by the way, we'll come back to that subject and continue to complain about it for the next 12 years, but... But I do realize 
that when it comes right down to it, it's the question of who's there for you, who's producing things so that we have the wonderful, impossible life that we have. And that would be you. Aww. Yeah, you like that shit? That's right. Thank you. Everybody, we hope so much that kids aside, daddies aside, that on this St. Valentine's Day, you have someone to kiss. If you want to do more than that, we're all for it. (laughs) If you don't, chocolate is still as amazing, and we love you and are so happy that we get to share this and every other uh, episode with you. Yeah, and please keep writing to us because... It's just, you know, that that letter from Bethany came to me in a, in a day when I was pretty bumped. And you don't have to always write beautiful, thankful things. You <laughs> can complain about your kids. You can complain about the process of making kids. We're into all forms of complaint. Totally. That's what we do. Yeah. Uh, just point out your complaints in to hello at daddysqr.com. And um, you can also find us on Facebook and Instagram. We have a group uh, which I post content to uh, constantly. Ugh, are we going to do a TikTok thing? So no, no. No, thank God. No TikTok for Very now. <laughs> for now. <laughs> Alex, thank you for sharing with me the past 12 years. Thank you for sharing it with and me. And Valentine's too, yeah. Day is amazing. Thanks to you. I love um, you. Love you too. And guys, we're going to see you next week with a regular episode of Daddy Squared. (laughs) All right. See you then. Bye-bye. Bye. If you're thinking about having kids, start your search at loveisfamily.com by ORM Fertility. For over 30 years, ORM Fertility has been at the forefront of fertility services, providing personalized care and helping all family types grow. ORM are honored to be a trusted resource for the gay community on their journey to parenthood and are now sharing all they know with you at loveisfamily.com. ORM's expert team gives gay parents-to-be all the information they need and guides them through their unique fertility journey providing expertise, education, and support every step of the way. Over a thousand gay couples and singles from all over the world have started or grown their family with ORM's support and fertility and financial expertise. Find out more at loveisfamily.com, ORM Fertility's online resource for gay dads and LGBTQ plus family building.